If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Friends, I am very excited about today's episode. We're going to be talking about tips and strategies for unlocking social media fundraising secrets with Nick Black. I wanted to have this conversation with Nick for a lot of reasons, but one of them, quite frankly, is I think so often as fundraisers, we are not doing everything we can to really leverage and maximize our use of social media. And sometimes we're really good about getting that first gift on social media, but then not actually developing the relationship. In part because, well, for a lot of us, even though I know these platforms have been around for, gosh, you know, two decades at this point, for a lot of us, this still feels like a newer platform and it's not something that's native to us and we're still trying to figure out how to do that. And that's why we invited Nick Black on. Nick is a combat veteran who founded the nonprofit Stop Soldier Suicide and also the company Good United. And Good United is a conversational messaging platform for social media. Now, friends, if you know me, you know that I am a power user of LinkedIn, and I found myself really drawn in to many of Nick's posts on LinkedIn. Everything from outlining what we can learn from political fundraising to telling a board member they should consider 40% staff raises instead of 4% staff raises. And also, by the way, one of my favorite was the way he responded to a for-profit consultant who was interested in transitioning to the nonprofit sector as a more laid-back career. And he essentially said, don't do anyone the favor. So I was really drawn in by his LinkedIn post and frankly, made me even more excited about the conversation we're about to have. And after I got done on his LinkedIn profile, I spent some time at his company's website, Good United, and became even more interested in the way he's building the company. Specifically, part of what I got so very interested in was the way he's outlining values for all team members. And like our much smaller nonprofits, offering unlimited PTO with a mandatory minimum. So Nick is definitely a genuine thought leader in this sector and this space, and we wanted to spend some time with him today. Hey, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Dolph, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Well, again, I'm so excited that you're here. And I thought a good way for us to start this conversation would be for us to take a look at both Stop Soldier Suicide and Good United, because I noticed that you started the nonprofit Stop Soldier Suicide first and Good United second. But I have a feeling these two milestones are related to each other. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, They are 100% correlated. So generally what I found in my life, or at least my wife says is the theme. I mean, one being a moron, two running the things that make me angry and trying to solve for them. So the first you know, life event for me was 9-11. Uh, 9-11 was a callus for me wanting to join the military. Um, I ended up joining after college. I became an Army officer, airborne ranger, qualified 107th Airborne. I spent 27 months in the border of Pakistan. And my first 15-month deployment, 2007, was pretty chaotic. We were in a fight every single day, whether we're getting rocketed or mortared or in small arms fight. And after 15 months, all 120 of my guys came home. And it was a big deal. There was eight other companies of 120 men, and every other company had lost someone. Uh, I think total in our unit, we had uh, 45 killed in action, uh, but also, you know, the kind of the intensity of the conflict with three Medal of Honor winners, uh, a lot of single service crosses, you know, just an incredible amount of awards. Uh, The reason why I bring that up is that after 15 months, two weeks after we came home, one of my soldiers took his own life. Hmm. So I didn't really know what to do with that. Um, I dedicated my 20s to closing with and destroying the guys that brought down the Twin Towers. Uh, and I went through all the training, everything I could to position myself to be able to do that. I went back to Afghanistan and learned that halfway through from a buddy of mine from undergrad that we've lost more service men and women to suicide than the enemy. So I still don't know how to reconcile that. And I have to think about it. It pisses me off to this day. Uh, whenever I mention it, I just immediately, like right now I'm getting fired up just thinking about it. So I never, ever, ever thought I'd be involved with nonprofits. No one in my life has said, you know what, Nick, you're a nonprofit guy. I can see you handing out soup, right? Like this is your thing. I care about the problem. So uh, I made a decision to get out of the military. I took the GMAT in Afghanistan, uh, bombed it, uh, but applied to business schools. Got to University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, but along the way started a nonprofit called Stop Soldier Suicide. Um, but through that, I worked every single aspect of the organization from finance to executive director uh, to fundraising. Uh, and fundraising uh, really made me angry. Mm. I had no idea what to expect in starting a nonprofit, but I did not expect it to be that hard. So I've got to stop here and ask, why did fundraising make you angry? Uh, because I went to a billionaire's house and he gave me $100. I threw a uh, wine tasting event in Northern Virginia overlooking D.C., my family and I sold out every contact we had, every connection to be able to put this thing together. Uh, I think we we made 40 grand. I think it cost 20 grand. I'll never forget my dad coming up to me at the end and saying, whatever this thing, whatever you made, I'll just write you a check and never want to do it again. Wow. I got an email from a soldier of mine who uh, didn't have a pot to piss in and he gave $50 and he sent me a note saying, hey, sir, uh, I don't expect anything, but did you get my gift? And it was that moment where it really triggered me to realize that I was focusing on a high net worth individuals because that's the only capacity that I had. And the average donor, my soldiers, my friends, uh, were getting the world's worst experience or no experience. And that to me was what set me off to co-found Good United with my business partner, Jeremy Berman. On one hand, I know how to build a relationship with and be able to get a high net worth individual to make a gift to stop suicide or another organization. So why can't we use technology to take that experience and apply it to everyone. And that's where the foundation of Good United has been. And that's what we've been working on for the last eight years. 
So that's a great jumping off point for us to ask that question. How do we use technology to get everyone to make that $50 gift? Yeah, so there's two pieces, kind of the thesis behind Good United. And you know what I tell people is that I don't know what to do, but I have a PhD at what not to do. So the first four and a half years was an absolute dumpster fire of trying to build an organization. Uh, but as many people have told me in my life, I'm a really bad quitter. Uh, what we found out was two things. The first thing is that people want to engage where they spend time. They want to make a gift where they spend time. They want to follow up where they spend time. I don't know about you. I don't know what Stop Source Suicide website looks like. I've yet to meet any individual that has been to a nonprofit website at any time recently. Zero. Because they're not that fun, right? The content put out Stop Source Suicide is not engaging. However, where I am at is in LinkedIn, like you mentioned, or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. That's also where I'm engaging, communicating with organizations that I care about. So one, let's enable people to meet them where they're at. Two, the technology that's come about is conversational messaging. So conversational messaging through Good United enables organizations to, at the simplest point, ask someone why they made that gift. For an example, I was in the army. Don't send me stuff about the Navy. That's fair. But how are you going to do that at scale? So conversational messaging allows us to take unstructured data, turn a structured data to prompt that next message. So in the simplest sense, we can call for and receive any information that we want, and we ask questions to get the information of how do we follow up. Good United enables an organization to ask why you gave, why you started that fundraiser, and more importantly, what do you want to do next? And the most powerful thing about the technology that we're building is not people saying yes. It's people saying, you know what? I don't want to make a gift, but here's the thing that I do want to do, whether I want to share content or I want to host a fundraiser or I want to do something else, right? And so we have to meet people where we're at. And oftentimes what I found in nonprofit world after a decade is that it's one size fits none. We hammer everyone with the same ask and we're astonished how it doesn't work. Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I like that phrase, one size fits none. I want to take a step back though. Because you said something that I found really interesting. And you said, hey, look, I don't go to nonprofit websites. I don't know people who go to nonprofit websites. I will say in preparation for our conversation today, I did go to Good. stopsoldiersuicide.org. So I have a question for you because you have a beautiful website. And it certainly appears to be a website that cost more than $1 or $2 to build. Lots of money. So here's my question for you. Help me understand the investment in that website. If you're like, yeah, that's not where people are going. We're not about web. Well, I think you have to have a website, right? Because many people Google, when you get people at the bottom of the funnel, they're looking for those terms and they want to have validity in your cause. Uh, but the simple math is, is that we have 700,000 people engaged with us on Facebook and maybe one-tenth of that they give with just on a monthly basis on our website. Wow. Okay. We have at least 50X more revenue through social than we do on our website. And what's even more confounding to me is that organizations spend money on ads to go to where people spend time, to get them to click, to ask them to leave, to go to where they don't want to be. It's like <laughs> me going to your favorite bar and saying, hey, man, you like it here? Oh, I love it here. I go every Friday. Awesome. Listen, I'd love for you to leave the bar. Come with me. I'd love for you to go to a place that you're not going to hang out, but I want you to go through this experience. So I'm going to ask for 20 pieces of information to ask you to give. right? And my promise to you, Dolph, my promise is after that gift, I'm going to give you the world's worst email newsletter. Yeah. <laughs> That's my promise, right? And then you're saying like, and my expectation of you to give is a zero. Yeah, that's about right. And like this, there's this moment I talked to organizations saying, um, what would it be like if I could access 18,000 people for you today, net new leads? And they say, are you kidding? That's unbelievable. 
So do you know that you have 18,000 people that follow you on Facebook? We do? Hmm. Yeah. They're right there. They got one foot in the door, my friend. Let's get them all the way in. Mm-hmm. Right? So like we're building these communities. And, and what I also think, and I've yet to have anyone debate me on this, is that I don't see that you know as we go forward in time, we're going to get more centralized. Generally, what we find is decentralization to technology. I don't think we're going backwards, right? We're going to go on Discord. We're going to go in these niches of the internet and organize profits, right? And it's a massive opportunity. It's a challenge, but it's an opportunity. How do we find these communities wherever they are that support us, whether it's knitting or gaming or whatever that is, but we're spreading out. We're not getting more centralized through website. And so I think that's going to be the next challenge of the decade. How do we meet people where they're at? So- I love the way you describe that funnel. And I also really love the way it ends for like, and we're going to send you an email newsletter that's really not that good and you're not going to like it. So obviously, you, you know, you're becoming a disruptor and you're you're kind of turning this on its head. What are some of the things that organizations should be doing? Obviously, part of that is engaging with people on the social media that they use, right? I get that. But it feels to me like it has to go beyond that because as you mentioned, these organizations may already have 18,000 followers on Facebook or LinkedIn or wherever. Yeah, I think the piece about email is, you know, we think about stop sort of suicide is that email works when you have a really great scale or you're really focused in niche. I've seen organizations that crush email, but they might have a thousand people on their listserv and they're hyper, hyper focused, right? I've also seen organizations that crush email that have tens of millions of email addresses and law of numbers, things work at scale. Mm-hmm. So I think, can you ask the question again, Dolph, I'm about to go on a rant. Oh, no, no worries. I'll, I'll show you. I like rants. I like rants a lot. So let's jump into that rant. Uh it's a balance, right? And everything is relative. We need to have multi-channel. Uh, there's this quote from Warren Buffett that I always find uh, intriguing where he says, diversification for people that don't know what they're doing, right? Which is counterintuitive to a lot, you know, portfolio theory and all these things that we need to do. But I think as a nonprofit, right, there's some really massive organizations that can do a lot of things well. I think for smaller organizations, you got to pick one thing and do it well. And to your point, you need a website, right? SEM, you know, SEO, great. People are going to buy my funnel. You want to compete. You want to be right there. But who is your audience and where are they? And oftentimes when I talk to nonprofits, everyone is a supporter, therefore no one's a supporter. Hmm. Who is the audience? Where do they spend time? And let's go meet them there. And let's just try to make this as simple as possible rather than creating 80-page PowerPoints about nothing. All right. So, so let's break this down for our friends who are listening. How do they actually determine who their audience is? Well, it depends on what starting point you are as an organization. If you've been at it for a decent amount of time, you should have some type of following and people that resonate. Not your immediate family and friends, but who is that second order effect? Who's that second level? And then we actually have to ask them, get them on the phone, bring them in, do interviews. Who are you? What are you about? Why this cause? Where do you spend time? Where do you engage content? Oh, you're solely on Instagram? Why? Interesting. Right? Do you ever go to our website? Never been your website. Are you on Facebook? Never been on Facebook, right? So we have to start building a profile of who our supporters are and then try to figure out how to meet them there. What do they read? What do they engage with? Right? What if you bought an ad into a, a knitting, you know, magazine? Well, if that's where your audience is, that could be a wonderful ROI. But you know, at least I always challenge our team at South Source Suicide, you know, think big, but you know, act small, right? Narrow focus, wide vision. So if you have this big hypothesis, what's the fastest way to disprove it? Test it, move, fast, go. If you believe that young white males in Arkansas are supporters of stop sort of suicide, well, 
Who are they? What do they do? What do they engage with? And let's see if we can get them in. And let's not be afraid to fail. Let's actually prioritize failure so we don't waste our time on things that don't work. And and so you said just a few seconds ago, let's disprove this as quickly as possible. And I know that's counterintuitive for a lot of people. Explain why. That's the magical key of innovation. To me, oftentimes at Good United, ideas are bad words. No one's allowed to have an idea, right? Because ideas are emotional. And oftentimes, Dolph, I don't know if you've ever been in an organization, there's that one guy, whether it's title or just loud, right? But like they walk in and everyone stops talking and like, oh, we're just going to do whatever, you know, John says. Yeah. Right. That is not a meritocracy. Yeah. Right. And so like at Good United, right, I'm big, I'm loud. If I want to, my idea will win because I have a title. That's the opposite type of culture that we want to build. So if we flip it, we need to have a culture of hypothesis. What do we believe and how do we test? And then the most common thing that I found um, in innovation or trying to drive innovation is that someone will have an incredible hypothesis, but they've been thinking about it for a long time. And there's that one thing that they know will kill the whole concept, but they don't focus on it because it's theirs. It's their baby. And so they have in the back of their head, right? And you keep asking, like, what's that thing? What's this? This seems too good to be true. What's the thing that's going to kill this? And instead of waiting till the end, prioritize it up front, right? Try to kill the concept as quickly as possible so you don't spend your time building stuff no one wants. I've been there and I know other people who've been there who are like, oh, this is a great idea except this one thing. I hope people don't figure out this one thing. Yeah, that. That's awesome. You've identified it. That's 95% of the work. The last five is the courage to just bring it up front and saying, hey guys, I have a wonderful hypothesis around TV, but it's all going to depend on this one thing. Awesome. Thank you. Great. Let's see if we can test that to prove or disprove to figure out if it resonates with us. And like, and that's beautiful. Right. Or even to figure out how do we overcome it? Like, okay, wow, that, that one thing is going to kill it. Now let's figure out how we overcome it, mitigate it, whatever. Yeah. I felt like I spent like 80% of you know graduate school to just prove something I already knew was right, but I would just <laughs> do the work to prove it anyways, rather than focusing on the part that was in flux. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think when we get over it, whether it's, you know, uh, the right culture, whatever that might be, you can move a lot faster. And I think building a culture where you seek failure, right, small fails, and you embrace it and like, wow, you saved us so much time and money. Thank you so much. So it does sound like in your model, really, social media fundraising goes beyond just, okay, we're going to spray and pray. We're going to send this out to, you know, 18,000 of our followers and hope that, hey, 18 of them come back and give to us and ended you more niche down like, okay, this person's a Navy vet, this person's an army vet. And so we're going to treat them differently. Yeah. That's what Good United had to build. So um, over the last five years, we've always believed in conversational messaging being the technology to accomplish our mission. The mission of Good United is democratize nonprofit sport experience. For me, I'm a moron, right? I want to accomplish the mission. The mission is accomplished for me when my nine-year-old daughter who doesn't have a dollar, right? feels like she gets a meaningful experience from the organizations that she makes me buy at Christmas when they had those commercials, right? Uh-huh. Like we're buying the polar bear. Yeah. We're doing the polar bear. We're doing the dog outside, right? <laughs> how how can we build the technology where Anna feels like my daughter feels like she's worth a billion dollars? Yeah. Because when we do that, we're going to reimagine everything in this country, in my opinion, with philanthropy. So that's what we're trying to do. And so describe what that looks like. How do you make that donor feel like a billion dollars on social media. It's about them, right? And that's the most beautiful part is that what we built is that we need to, we have all these followers in Facebook or in Instagram, whatever it might be. Well, how do we convert those people into in-channel messaging subscribers? 
And that's really one of the thesis and the building blocks of Good United. Okay, so so time out. I don't know what in-channel mes- messaging subscribers means. And by the way, Nick, I know that means I'm old, but so I don't know what that means. I was just talking this morning and what we're doing is new. Um, it's the same strategies we've used with email, but we're bringing it to a new channel. So we're always trying to test, like how does this message resonate? How does it get there? So what we're seeing is that a lot of organizations have invested a ton into building community and content engagement and social channels. What we've seen is that those organizations, while they continue to post where people are, they ask them to leave to go to email or to go to something else. Generally, most people would agree that the most effective way to engage with people is in the channel they spend time. If you make a gift and you go to email, right, you can send them direct mail, but it might not be the most efficient. You probably want to keep them in email. So with these social followers, these social people giving, well, how do we keep them in that channel? And how we keep them in that channel is that if you give in a Facebook, we connect you with Facebook Messenger. And so when you become a subscriber, right, it's essentially becoming an email lead, but the same thing in the new channel. So now you're a subscriber to Stop Sword of Suicide in Messenger. And the beautiful part is that these new channels are owned. So they're not like email where you can be in 100 different email services at the same time, right? There's over 90% open rate or 40% click-through rate. But the challenge is people open what you send them. Therefore, Good United, we need to give you the data to make that message meaningful. You can't just apply the tactics that work in email to messaging, right? Because in email, you change the headline, right? You and I know the tricks. You keep changing the headline until they open. Same body. We're okay with emails that are you know, kind of vague. In messaging, the expectation is to the point, you know me, what can I do? So you said, okay, it's got a much higher open rate. It's got a much higher click-through rate. Like, How does the message have to be different in messaging, in like social media messaging, than it does in email? It has to be more personalized. So how do we make it more personalized to be able to ask the right questions to get the right data to drive the right insights for follow-up? When's your birthday? Where do you live? Right? What do you want to do? Most most powerful question is saying, how would you like to support Stop Source Suicide or any organization in the future? And you get this incredible unstructured data. And so our team is trying to unstructured data, say, you know, 18% of people want to do a birthday. This group wants to do recurring giving. This group wants to share a post. Uh, we just did a case study on the website at goodunite.io. And uh, you know, one of the challenges was, well, what if we ask people to share a post? No call to action to give. And what we saw was a post that after 24 hours had 11 shares, went to 2,800 shares in 48 hours. Wow. Yeah, it was fire, right? And you could watch it in real time and the post exploded because we're asking people in Messenger in a real time, they're engaging and now they're sharing it. So we think it's we're adding a net new channel to organizations to monetize the communities they've been building for over a decade or two decades, as you said. So for me, it's really exciting days. We built our technology on top of Facebook. And so our thesis is that we're going to be able to empower organizations to meet the supporters, whatever's next. Right? Do, you, do you play video games, Dolph? I know I'm coming across as a much, much older person than I am, but I don't. I don't either. But like, can you imagine that people watch other people at video games online? I know they do. And I, and I know some people make like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year just streaming them playing video games. And they're nonprofits that make millions from people donating to watch other people play video games. Yeah. I'm always surprised by that, by the way. Always. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I believe that philanthropy is just a natural human trait. And in our country, a credible country, people want to give. But what we've also seen, I think our report just came out, giving is going down. And my thesis is, well, I know the fact is giving is going down, but it's the average Joe, the average American that's giving, not giving. And why is because I don't think we're meeting them where they are. The average American spends 144 minutes a day in social. How many calls to action do you have in social for them to give? 
So that number surprises me. Really, the average American is spending like almost two and a half hours on social every day. Yeah. And this is where it's kind of like cuckoo. And I get it because we haven't had the tools to be able to do it. But at Stop Source Suicide, we pay a ton of money and accept a ton of inefficiency to put an ad in front of someone to get them to leave where they're at to go somewhere else. I mean, the friction is massive. But if you keep everything in channel, it's seamless. With one click of a button, you can start a fundraiser. One click of a button, you can make a donation. So again, as we think about it, right? Organizations is building a decade posting content. As far as I'm concerned, if you're going to continue to post content in Facebook and engage with people, if you're not using Good United, you're negligent because we're going to help you monetize that community and help you connect with this new audience. The other really interesting piece, Dolph, is we have worked with some really large partners. And one of the initial pushback that I got from executives is, Nick, all you're going to do is rob Peter to pay Paul. You're going to take someone that would have given to us that, and we're just putting them in a new channel. They're not net new. I said, all right, well, let's test this. Let's measure the people that give in social and combine, compare that to your house file. And these are organizations with tens of millions of emails. Guess what percent of these people that give in social are net new to the house file? Oh, I'd guess, I'd guess probably 70%. 95. Wow, 95%. And it goes again, the thesis saying like, you're not meeting me where I'm at, right? I don't know a whole lot about the younger generation, but like, we're going to have to find new ways to meet them where they're engaging with us. And they're not going to be doing the old stuff, right? And like, no matter what you do, I'm not sure waking up at 6 a.m. to go to a pep rally downtown and walk around a circle to raise money. Don't ask me. Well, I will do something else, but right? Like I'm in LinkedIn, meet me there. Right. So Nick, so I've got a really important question for you. So first, I'm fascinated by that 95% figure. I also know that for a lot of organizations, those Facebook gifts, those social media gifts are one-time gifts. So someone contributes to somebody's birthday campaign or someone gets really angry about something for, you know, five minutes and gives 20 bucks, but they're one-time gifts and they don't come back. So how do organizations actually develop relationships so that they're not always chasing that new dollar, but are getting recurring, ongoing revenue every year? 100%. And that's been the big problem with social giving. Facebook is the grill in the room. I think they've raised over $7 billion over the last five years. Good United has become a, a meta social good partner. Like we're the first partner. So with that, we've really been lobbying them on, on trying to represent the pains of the industry. We don't have the data. We don't have the contact information. Less than 2% of donors would opt in for email. So essentially, and like rightfully so, nonprofits look at it as like a GoFundMe type thing. Shot in the dark, you know, and Stop Super Suicide was a great benefit of birthday revenue. You know, I kept like, don't even ask questions. Just take the money and run, right? There's got to be a glitch. We're getting this money. I have no idea why, right? I've been looking at the data maybe more than anyone outside of Palo Alto. I still don't know why, right? But what we've been able to lobby with the powers that be a meta is saying, we need to go. We have two big things that we're able to change. One, uh, for four years, it was a opt-in UX, user experience, where if you made a gift off, you had to click that button saying, I want to get communication from the nonprofit. Right. Less than 2% of people did. We flipped that. Now you have to opt out. And that happened about five months ago. That has been a massive lever on the leads and the data coming from the system. The second thing is not only do you have to opt out, but you're automatically opted into Messenger. Mm. And so just like if you made a gift through the website where you're now going to sign up for email comms, well, now if you're giving in social, you're going to sign up to read messaging in that channel. And so that's really opened up the ability to take a look at this Facebook, which was a, I get it, right? We didn't have the tools, didn't have the data, 
How can we control this thing? I don't want to invest in something I can't control. Now it's the opposite. Now we can control and drive giving in this new channel. Hmm. Got it. So it really then is making sure you've got the data and then you're still engaging with them. How often should organizations be engaging with their donors on social media? Like like those direct messages? Yeah, I think it depends on the size. Uh, every organization has signed up for Facebook giving tools. If you have not, go to the website, uh, Good United, and we have an ebook to teach you how to do it. But in Nonprofit Manager, which good, uh, Meta spun up, it's essentially like a great CRM, but put in a Facebook, you can message be people one-on-one in Messenger. So like the functionality is there today. A lot of nonprofits don't know that they have leads waiting to be reached out to in Messenger through Nonprofit Manager. So I reach out to them um, and simply just ask them a question of, and say thank you and saying, how would you like to participate in the future? Yeah, that's and then fair. And if you're good united, if you have, you know, start to do it, then with us, you can do it at scale. Right. So like when you start off, you use Gmail. At some point, you got to scale up. Right. We're the the partner that can help you take control of this new channel. And I'll share with you, for me, that's also another really important takeaway from this episode is that uh, there is that dashboard, that CRM within Facebook that every organization can go in and say, OK, let's see who our donors are and let's communicate with them. Absolutely. Every or- It's free. Right. You should every organization should absolutely be doing it. And again, it's a net new channel. Right. It's an additional channel. You know, times are tough right now. Talk a lot of nonprofits, a lot of pessimism. Well, you know what? I was talking to a great organization that dealt with cops. Uh, they started their Facebook page in 2011. They have hundreds of thousands of people on it. And they were talking to me about how hard it is to get net new leads. I just showed them you got 200,000 people. Like we've never looked past it because we can't control it. But now we can start to control. And I think there's a massive opportunity to be able to take that 200,000, 15,000 and activate them mm-hmm. like never before. Now we can do it. Hmm. That is super cool. Well, Nick, I'm going to jump us over to the off the map question. And I've got an off the map question that really piqued my curiosity. So when I spent some time at Good United's website, I saw that your company has four virtues, what we might think of as values, but your company has four virtues. And I was hoping we could have a little bit of a conversation about those four virtues. Absolutely. So I think taking a step back, there was values and virtues. Uh, been a part of many organizations that have values, right? And there's so many of them and they put them on the wall. No one knows what they are. I don't get that, right? So there's values and virtues. Virtues are what you do. And so from a military uh, background, I think the military does a lot of things well, but you know, some of it is really aligned on um, aligning on a virtue. So, an example for an army ranger, right? If you go anywhere near any ranger post, you say rangers lead the way. Everything you do, lead the way, lead the way, lead the way. Hey, we have a really difficult mission. Everyone's going to die. Who wants to go? Rangers lead the way. We're in first. That's that's it, right? Everything is built around one. We lead the way. We're first, first in. No matter what, we're first in. We got to go. So, as you think about virtues, at Good United, we boil down to four. And what we try to do is to reinforce those everything that we do from do less better. Right? It's very easy to do many things. It's very difficult to prioritize. I'm very, uh, I'm not very good at it, but I always have it on my wall. I have it everywhere. Right? Do less better. What's the one thing I need to do well today? Right? How do we take fiercely take care of each other and our families? How we build products and service customers want, and at best is the standard. And it's not about being the best, it's applying best effort. And so, for we rally around these four virtues. And again, it's not about saying; it's about doing it. So I try to find highlights, whether it's daily or weekly and our weekly all hands, how are we living these virtues? How are we being about it, not talking about it? Because there's nothing to me more demotivating than a, a bunch of values that n- you have to like learn an onboarding and then they never come back. I'd rather have just one thing of like, what are we, 
right? Just one thing and rally around that rather than like this never ending list of like innovation or they have a word progress. What the hell does that mean? It's like a business school exercise. You know, like it just, it's worthless. Here's part of what I'm curious about. So you've got these four virtues. And again, I saw them on your website. I actually saw them kind of in your, hey, do you want to come work for us page? And so I love that that you're you're setting that up before people even apply. Like, hey, these are our four virtues. This is what you're signing on for. But so uh, obviously that's part of how you make those virtues part of your culture. What else do you do so that they're not just, you know, four signs on the wall? We try to weave it into everything that we do from um you know, again, daily shout outs to people living the virtues that are nominated to the weekly all hands. Uh, we add to each deck the meetings, how we start off. Uh, you know, we have a long ways to go, uh, but we're trying to figure out how to do that better. Uh, we have adopted a, a hiring process called top grading, which is pretty detailed and it's all around the virtues. So we're learning how to actually vet for those uh, upfront. Um, that's been super valuable to going through that process. And, you know, the longer I get in this, the older I get, the more I realize that simplicity is beauty. And like, it just like my whole life, I felt like complexity was like the way through school. And then the old, you just see there in like great organizations, man, it's simple. They just get it down to be simple. They get it down to like what you're about, make it simple and then get good people. And that's something I'm striving to do as well. And so last question on this, how do you vet for those virtues up front? Through the top grading, it's they teach you the types of questions to ask. And one of the big pieces was previous experience as an indicator of future as well. So it's really about how do you find the experiences where those virtues were at play. I was never smart enough to procrastinate in school. Like I've I've never I've never done an all nighter. I just don't care, maybe, or I just I'm not there. Right. So like how do you start the example? You have 15 things going on. How do you prioritize? Why'd you prioritize? And we've been through a lot of um wonderful consultants that helped us to ask the right questions and know what to look for. Hmm. Okay. That's certainly fair. And I don't really know. So like we're trying to figure it out. Uh, but the strange thing for me from a military piece and the military, there's literally a, uh, like a, a score system on your deployability. And within that, there's also lethality score, right? Like your unit, how lethal are you? And they measure it. And everything about HR was to make you and empower you to be as lethal as possible. How's your mental health? How's your physical health, right? Or can you run? Can you push up? You know, social health, right? And seemingly somehow in HR, it should be the most important thing that we do to empower humans. And now, I don't know, I can go on a rant about this too, but everything's about like building like ceilings on them, Mm -hmm. right? How do we start to empower? Is it mental health? Is it, you know, having Gator? I don't know what it is, but like we got to rethink that piece and we're trying to do that good United. Nick, thank you. I, I am so grateful that you came on today. Uh, you and I could probably talk for another 30 minutes, but we typically try to keep the podcast down to about 35, 40 minutes or so. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. And my friends, if you want to know more about either Good United or Stop Soldier Suicide, you can find Good United at goodunited.io. And definitely worth your while to check them out for a lot of reasons. Obviously, maybe you're interested in, in working with them around social media, but also really worthwhile to check out their, hey, come work for us page. I know I found so much good content at that page that you might want to think about adding some of that type of content to your organization's website. And 
also want to make sure you know about the nonprofit Stop Soldier Suicide. And you can visit that URL at stopsoldiersuicide.org. And there you can see links to all their socials. So you can see how they're doing social. Um, you can you can also see links to what they're doing, how you can get involved in your area, etc. Nick, thank you again for coming on. I am so grateful you did. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. This has been awesome. All right, friends, if you enjoyed this episode, if it gave you some food for thought, there are two other items that I'd like for you to consider. The first is a podcast, and that's episode 55 with Chantel Cleef. Grow your nonprofit social media, because if you're growing that social media, you're increasing the base of prospective donors. And the second It's actually not a podcast episode. It's one of our blogs. So it's the blog titled Four Tips to Launch Your Nonprofit's Digital Advocacy Campaign. Because, you know, I'll share with you, there's a lot of similarities between an advocacy campaign and a fundraising campaign. And so I thought that might be a good blog post for folks to see as well. And we're going to put that on our show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. And if for some reason you don't remember the URLs for Good United or StopSuicide.org, you can also get those at the show notes at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. And, you know, my friends, in every episode, I always ask you if you are enjoying this podcast, if it's one that you always look at and say, oh, wow, that's an episode I need to download and listen to. I would appreciate it if you would take a moment and share this episode with someone. It might be a colleague, it might be a board member, it might be a family member, but please just take a minute, hit share on your phone and share this episode with somebody. And if you've already shared, I'd like for you to consider maybe liking the podcast and also writing a review. That, my friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help you and your nonprofit thrive. And you know, every week, the lawyers make me say this too, I'm not an accountant, nor am I an attorney. And so it should not surprise you that I don't provide tax legal or accounting advice, and neither does our consulting practice. If that's what you need, please, and I say this every week too, don't try to get that from a podcast. Find a licensed, qualified professional in your area and get the help and the consultation that you need. And if you are not sure what type of lawyer or accountant you should be having a conversation with, you can reach out to me. I am happy to help you figure that piece out.